is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Roll for Persuasion. I'm your host, Andrew Richardson. Thank you guys so much for joining me on this, my podcast, where I talk with creatives and creators and entrepreneurs in the tabletop and D&D community. Always great to have new guests on, and we have an especially awesome guest today. Very much looking forward to talking to him. But before we get into that, let's run through some of the standard business. First off, I appreciate you listening. I appreciate you subscribing. If you don't subscribe yet, please make sure that you go and do that. And whatever your podcast app of choice may be, we are on all of them um, that I am aware of. So make sure you subscribe, you follow. Definitely helps us out. Also, we do have a Patreon. So if you go to patreon.com slash roll for persuasion, you can support the show financially, which would mean a lot to me and my electrical bill. So if you uh, want to go do that, we have some cool rewards, one of which is you can submit questions for my awesome guests. One of those questions you will be hearing today when we get into it. So patreon.com slash roll for persuasion. Please feel free to check that out. And then, of course, I love hearing from you guys on social. You can contact me on Instagram and Twitter at roll persuasion or via email andrew at rollforpersuasion.com. Any of those ways, all of those ways, whatever you feel like, hit me up. And our episode today is brought to you by a partnership with my good friends at Smuggler's Coffee. If you love coffee, you should check out Smuggler's. And I'm not just saying that because uh, they sponsor the show. I'm saying that because I have a cabinet full of coffee that I've purchased from them. They barrel age their coffee beans. So if you love some some awesome coffee that's been aged for a year in bourbon barrels, you should go check these guys out. Store.smugglerscoffee.com. They are delicious. They are fantastic. Uh, we love them not only on the show, but at my D&D table. So every week when we get together to play, I make sure that I have a pot brewed because it's what keeps all of us going. A little tomb of caffeination is our favorite blend at the table. So be sure you check that out. Store.smugglerscoffee.com. Like I said, I am pretty pumped about my guest today. Ivan, what is going on, man? Dude, I have to tell you, your intro is so funky, and I'm into that funk-tastic <laughs> intro. I literally I searched. I went to audiojungle.com, and I searched funky ska, yeah. and uh, and that's what I got. So, Boom. You were like, first click, done, literally, download. Literally. I'm like, this is it. This is, this is a song. <laughs> I, do, I have one that I do just for my, uh, for my Undeadwood episodes that's like really like... Uh, kind of dark groovy guitars but but i love a little this, uh, little funky fiddle, reggae little fiddle action yeah. no, i'm into it man it's uh it's very um it reminds me of like the old kind of classy um kind of college radio podcasts or not really even podcasts because back then radio was radio but like the old college radio yeah. kind of cool hangout vibes so that's what we're going yeah. for that's what we're going for. <laughs> Finding backing music, man, that is a that is a hard thing to do. And that's actually, uh, I mentioned to you before we started, talking to Jason Charles Miller uh, a little bit later today. And that's yeah, one of the just things. have him do it. Just, I know. That's, that's what everyone does, right? Just good. music by so. JCM. Yeah. <laughs> or if he He'll offers, I'll, I'll, I'll go, like no, I'm hours. fine. I've got a good one already. Oh. Uh, <laughs> too far. Uh, yeah. Well, well so, yeah. Thanks for having me yeah, on, man. dude. I appreciate it. Yeah. So Ivan Van Norman, um, very first question, is that your real name? Uh, you know, it's not. Oh, well, actually, just, just tell uh, people it is. Never mind. We'll just pretend it is. We'll cut this part no, out. No, and we'll just fine. keep my, the mythos my, uh, my full name is Ivan Baron Van Norman. Oh, okay. So even better. Yes. <laughs> You're like a step below Strahd on the potential evil character name. I don't know. I, it was just an amalgamation my my family gave me um, because my my dad gave me my first name. My middle name was an old family name that was kind of um, re brought back in after it was nixed in Ellis Island. And then my last name is it's I mean it's Dutch. It's Van Norman. Yeah. Um, Norman. So together and it's Baron with two R's. So it's even worse. Oh, it's even man. worse. I'm do so you, sorry, Andrew. Do you feel like that name like set you on the path to you know fantasy style gaming? Uh, the career that you're involved in. Today. I mean, it was a confidence booster. I mean, if I'm being all serious, it was just kind of fun to have a big, long, right, yeah, for sure. Name. But um, it's uh, you know, I wouldn't say necessarily. The the thing that set me on the fantasy journey was the posters of Doctor Strange and my mom's comics of Heavy Metal magazine and Vampirella that were hanging out um in her in her upstairs library. Oh so, yeah, that would do it. Uh, yeah. But that's um that's a that, that's for a, uh, another story. Right. We'll save that for so, the uh, for the second episode. Yeah. 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 So um, you do no, you do oh yeah sorry you do a lot. I mean you do. I feel like every time I Google you, I'm like oh I didn't know that he did that as well. Um, so can you can you give like the elevator pitch 
of all the awesome things that you've been involved in so people can get even just a, a you know, a, a sliver of an idea of what you have going on? I, th- I think the, the, the term, and I actually didn't even really think of this until really this podcast, um, but I think the the term that most people would understand is I'm a serial entrepreneur. Um, I just love doing things. And usually those yeah, things yeah. involve having to form some kind of a business around doing said things. So I'm a, I have kind of one leg on in different sides of the, of the pool. Um, I have uh, one leg in the publishing department. So I have, uh, I'm a partner of a, of a RPG publishing company um, called Hunters Entertainment, which done, you know, done role-playing games like um, Outbreak Undead, Kids on Bikes. We just announced our partnership with Werewolf yeah, 5th yeah. Edition, like we announced with Paradox. So Paradox and Hunters Entertainment are going to be putting out Werewolf 5th Edition, which is crazy because <laughs> I used to play that game ages ago, and now we're making the new edition of it, which is wild. But, um, That's insane, man. So I have I have the publishing side, and we even put out like children's books. Um, I wrote the the a book like three or four years ago called The ABCs of RPGs. And then um, somehow that got in front of Wizards of the Coast and at some point became the ABCs of D&D, which is um, what you can see and buy um, for your holiday splendor now. But um, the other side is that I I am a producer. I, I, you know, I got into uh, I went to film school originally down in Orange County and um, just like every other, you know, starry eyed youth coming to Los Angeles was like, I want to direct. Um, you know, and came down here and realized, wow, that is, that is not, is not in the cards, everybody. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, I basically struggled for years and then, uh, got into kind of client-based marketing in which I started working. And, and I, I mean, I've been in LA for more than 10 years and I probably had a job every single year, something different everywhere from just being an assistant editor yeah. all the way to, um, being a, a, what are they, a production manager for a company that built runways, um, to, right. uh, uh, to like call centers, you know, and it was just kind of bouncing back and forth. But no matter what, I was always, always had my publishing company or, you know, we always had our role playing games in the background that we were always trying to make work. Sure, yeah. Um, and it was only in the last couple of years that it really became a, like a legit business that we can run out and, and say, Hey, you know, we're, this is, this is what we do professionally rather than it just being a nights and weekends, um, kind of job. Right. So. Yeah. When, when you're, when your fun passion job finally becomes like your, it, your income job as well, right? Borderline part-time, I would probably say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, because still, this is, it's still tough to be in a space where, you know, um, even even with such amazing things happening, you, I mean, living in L.A., it costs so much to be here. Um, but that right, is usually yeah. an opportunity cost as well, too. None of these cool things would happen unless I was in this town. Um, and uh, it's it's different. And as a result, the hosting work is 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 just it also has to be there in the producing work and as you mentioned that i'm sure you've been telling people getting to work on cool projects like undead wood and before then being able to uh, put together shows like where life frontier and sagas of sundry these are all um these are all things that i'm i'm very happy to have been a part of whether they were just on a hosting level like coming in and running the game or you know um, in situations like Undeadwood coming in and creatively consulting and helping out with the game systems or a show like Sagas in which it was just my baby all the way through, yeah. you know, right. um, well, technically Marisha and I's baby, but still <laughs> it was, uh, it was a lot of work. So uh, a lot of collaborative imagine. Work. Yeah. Yeah. So at um, what point you mentioned, uh, you know, kind of your mom's comic books and all that kind of being your introduction into the world of, of fantasy and, and comics and whatnot. What, what is kind of, what was the first game that you really remember playing and being like, Oh, okay, this is a, this is something different. This is better than Monopoly, right? The first game that, Oh yeah, that was better than Monopoly. Cause that's a, that's a great qualifier. Cause I think we all played, <laughs> right. We all, I, we all played battleship Monopoly Scrabble growing up, but exactly. I think the first, the first thing that was like, what is this? Um, was he was hero quest. Ah, okay, yeah. Being my my first game, and the fact that like you opened up the book and it had a story, and you laid out the story, and you got to build the map, um, you know, for every setting. It was, uh, I have to tell you, it was uh, way ahead of its time. Um, 
and you know people are still trying to replicate the glory that that game is nowadays and uh, going back and even looking at it again playing it it is a hard game um and seeing kind of the early stages of because um, i don't know um andrew did you know that like games workshop work made hero quest no i did not i uh i remember and those are those Milton original Bradley, i think i knew but Sorry, i didn't know about games workshop yeah yeah, no, Games Workshop technically worked on that in the early stages because okay. um, the miniatures were made by Citadel. And Citadel is, you know, Games Workshop's right, right. miniature subsidiary. Um, but those were Citadel miniatures. Those were like the early Citadel miniatures, those yeah. little skeletons and the – and the um, you know, a lot of those characters would go on. Like the Chaos Lord was, you know, totally end up going to be a, a, a Chaos – uh, Lord from Warhammer down the road. You right. Know? Okay. No, um, I had no idea. Yeah. So the we didn't even realize it, but like they put out this this super fun game that was a dungeon crawler, and it was like a you know a tactical D and D, and I didn't even know what D and D was. I just loved this board game, and then I tried to play the Palladium Fantasy role playing game and got lost in a spiral of math. Um, that didn't make sense to my poor 12 year old brain. Um, and really, uh, didn't pick it up again until college, you know? So I grew up with video games and played video games and read comics and did all the proper, proper nerdy things you do when you're in high school and going into college. But I didn't really, I got into war games, uh, started playing 40 K when I was like a sophomore in, um, college. And that was kind of the 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 you could say the beginning of the first stage but all those early foundations were just the the like um the the beautiful like my mother being a child of the 60s and the 70s you know i i had a lot of that like that um that silver age of comics, um, sure, bronze yeah. transitioning to bronze age of comic stuff that was just lying around the whole time. And, you know, I, uh, the, she had like, you know, um, the original, like the second reprint of Dune, you know, kind of oh, a thing. Wow. Yeah. So I would, I would, those were the, those were the books I grew up reading. Um, you know, I remember distinctly reading Dune at 15, not getting a word of it, but thinking it was awesome. And then reading it again, when I was in college and then just, uh, and then just, it was, it was like I took the water of life and my whole consciousness expanded and it was amazing. So, you know, um, that's a lot of rambling for a lot of things. Did I answer any questions there? You you, you did. And and the whole, uh, the whole point of the show is for me to shut up and let people ramble. And then afterwards people go, Andrew, I really enjoy your interview style. I'm like, Oh, where I shut the fuck up and didn't say anything. Cool. Like awesome. I enjoy my interview style too. Yeah, no, it's great. It's great. It's called, I get out of the way. Exactly. It's it's a particular set of skills and, uh, I bring it to bear. No, no, that's, that's great. So, so what point, cause you, you run a lot of games and one of the things that I've heard multiple people say about you is like that you are a absolute wizard for game systems and just kind of understanding um, how a game works and how to build a world around it. At, at what point did you kind of uh, start, you know, creating your own worlds? When when did that kind of connection click for you? Because some people, I've run a few games, I enjoy DMing, but like I don't think I could ever run a, a full campaign or full homebrew world in the way I see you do on some of your various shows. So w- when did you kind of go, Oh, that's a, that's a thing I like. That's a thing I, I fit with. I don't think, I don't think it ever really just, I don't think there was ever a time in which click it happened. I think it was an odd, just uh, amalgamation that just kind of occurred and eventually transformed and mutated into this just fleshy body that is now my brain um, yeah. into the process. I like to I like to joke, but there's some truth to uh, Foreververse and how much str- how much stress that show put on the cast and myself, but how we all grew so much from doing that show. Um, you know, the concept around that was just let's explore a new game system every month, but have it all be tied into a single narrative, Yeah. you know? Yeah. And there was a world in which I was um, grinding, learning these systems and having to build a narrative around it. And I think Foreververse, um, for good or ill, uh, really it, it, it was like boot camp. 
you know, get up at 5 a.m., do five laps, go back to sleep for an hour, get up, do training, do drills, sit, eat. Okay, food's important. Get back up, do more drills, go to bed, lights out 10, get back up at five, five more laps. Like it was just, it was so, and obviously that's not a representation. I've never been through boot camp. I don't know what the actual schedule is, but the, it really did feel like that grind of, we got to get it done. We're going to go through it. But you know, by the time we all got out of it, we were conditioned and trained um, to be able to do uh, to do not only, you know, learn RPG systems, um, make choices and, and play the game, but then also make a show, you know, try to keep it to that narrative. And right, I think, yeah. I think I inadvertently pushed my own limits, but I'm happy that I did because I gained so much from it. And they do say that necessity is the mother of invention, right? The yeah, fact that yeah. I needed to do this thing, um, it, it, it unwoken and, and turned all of these skills on that if I had just been casually and doing it for my own fun, might've taken a lot longer and a lot more progress to, to get to, but it was all um, pushed through in, in that show. And then just the continuation of trying to have a, a safe space, a safe creative space like Geek and Sundry in its early years to be able to try new things and have an avenue in which to do that. Um, I mean, we really were blessed. We really, we, we had a wonderful, lovely space in which to kind of create all of this cool concept and wrap our heads around it and try out new things because it was all the Wild West anyway. And let's just throw spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks. So... Yeah, I mean, I I imagine as like a serial entrepreneur, like you described yourself, having that kind of space to to freely pursue those things. I mean, that's got to be incredibly, incredibly freeing, right? And and creatively sparking, I would imagine. Oh, it's lovely, and it is. And it wasn't one of those things where we were all sitting comfortable, you know, in our plush lounge chairs while we were making this content. You know, a lot of us are cramming ramen noodles and just having a good time trying to trying to make make our stuff right and now yeah. i'm i'm out here on the other side and i'm looking at at just how much everyone's trying to replicate that magic and it's 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 tough because they you know in in business they they like to call it when you when a trend occurs you have the early adopters right right, right. the that's that's not the early adopters aren't even the first to market the people who are trying things out the people who are who are testing out new things constantly there's a different category for those but the early adopters is um is uh is a state in which kind of I feel like we were in. We weren't the first to do it, but we were the ones trying out a lot of new things very quickly in a short amount of time. And then there's an early majority, which is where people are realizing, oh, this is a trend. We should all be catching on into it. And then there's the late majority, which is where most of the the people start coming into the world and they're like, oh, right. yeah, this is a thing. It's like it's like when, you know, when Beanie Babies were super hot and then, you know, the then they were they kind of went through their stage and now uh you know there are people who still buy beanie babies out there not realizing that that fad has already kind of passed through it's a bad comparison because i um, do not want to compare the success of tabletop role-playing games in a streaming space as beanie babies (laughs) (laughs) well what am i going to do with these terabytes and terabytes of streams that i've recorded to save for ebay sale someday are you you telling me that's not a good retirement plan i'm I'm telling you maybe you should just get a 401k so (laughs) you know but no it's true there's there's a a lot of people who are seeing the success and they want to try their own space in it. And it's wonderful because every little bit matters, right? Every, every new person who's not heard of it is, is a new, is as a new person in the hobby. And that's wonderful and lovely. And we certainly have not hit, I would say a majority yet. You know, we're, we're in a position where we're seeing things like Warhammer 40 K is getting a TV series and stranger things is talking about D and D. And I would say those are, those are awesome. And they have definitely done a huge service to, um, bring, role-playing games into the zeitgeist and everyone's talking about the golden age of gaming right now and i don't think that's wrong we are definitely in a in a state where everyone can look back 20 years and go and be like wow okay yeah that's a that's a big change from where we were 20 years ago and you know i'm uh it's awesome it's great and i think 
interactivity is where people are living nowadays. The the yeah, yeah, anonymity sure. of the internet is has a has a great way of bringing out the worst of us, which is why I think the the personal intimacy of board gaming is such a amazing counterweight to that. Absolutely. You know? So, uh, I mean, when you know you talk about how much things have changed, I mean, there there are so many things to to point to. But what it, what does it what does it feel like kind of sitting where you are, you know, very involved in the industry um, and looking back, you know, on on that time? Are there things that you think I'm trying to figure out the best way to ask the question? Are there things that you think that that the industry missed out on early on um, that, that we're only just now realizing as far as uh, things that work for players or or concepts that make sense? Um, or, or do you think that we've really kind of. Um, reached a point where, where all options are open. That's a poorly worded question. I have, I have a, no, I think, I think I get what you're saying saying? though. Yeah. No, I understand. I think, I mean, it's a really exciting time, Andrew. It's so cool right now because there's so much options available. And more importantly, there's so many resources available. I remember when we first were starting Hunter's Entertainment back then, it was just Hunter's books, but we, we, I took a bank loan out just to, just to print our first book. You know what I mean? And it was terrifying because we had this, you know, this bank APR attached to it and we had to pay it back in a couple of years. And we had no idea if we were going to. And it was not a it was not a non sum of money. It was like five figures just to get the book out. Sure, yeah. You know? And now, you know, put it up on Kickstarter, you know, and if yeah, it fails, yeah. you wasted that time and whatever, you know, um, early development costs you may have put into it. But if it succeeds, well, you know, platform gets their cut and, you know, you got to pay merchant transaction fees, but otherwise you're getting a lump sum that can actually get it done. So the, the agency in which small businesses, especially ones in the hobby industry, the, the resources that are available to them is, 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 amazing and what that does is especially in a in a in a world in which you open up resources and um, particularly funding is you have an explosion of innovation so everyone is trying to do something unique and different in the space to sure. capitalize off of that enticing area of hey i really i really like this feeling when i sit and play something with someone and i want to and i want to do these wide range of emotions um how do i how do i be a part of that and you know i i don't think it's done and i don't think we've tapped into everything that it has to offer yet in fact if anything i think we're definitely still in this wonderful explosion of of innovation and creativity and we're dancing on this line of mainstream you know i can't even tell you in yeah. la how many times i've heard some kind of rpg or collaborative storytelling like i'm out there every day sure, at the studios yeah. uh, preaching this and the difference is, is is that even though i'm you know and this is very common in la and hollywood you, you get a lot of no's even though i'm getting still getting a lot of no's people understand and they're listening you know, 10 years ago, they were just laughed in your face and closed sure, the yeah. door. You, you don't have to but educate now, them about what the concept is now. No, no. And it's just one of those things where it's, it's so, it works so close. We're so close. It's yeah. just going to take one show on Hulu, Netflix, Disney Plus. Um, that's just going to expose um, the glories of the hobby industry out to mainstream to 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 you know outside of the niche little space we've made the growing niche i should say but we're so close on that like tipping point that i i mean something's going to happen and i'm very excited to see what it's going to be and um uh you know frankly we're just glad to be a part of all of the great stuff that's happening it's just even watching some of these shows that we've put together like they they feel like content that could be really impactful for people who have never heard of role-playing games before yeah you know yeah. i mean how many people have you seen that watch critical role who have who have not played D D, know of it but they just love the content for the story's sake you oh, know I mean, there there are so many out there right the, and and that are full in and maybe you've never played a minute of 
D&D or, or any game like that in their life. I know, but the, and there's a lot the of people content who is so engaging, right? It's so engaging, and that's the thing, too. That's that's totally okay because the content is allowed to be engaging. Right, that's right. what content is. You know, it is it is a means in which to entertain. And and the glorious part is is that there's going to be so many people who are, are going to sing the praises of what that experience does. And, there, you know, it's it's yeah uh, the i the people are talking about oh the bubble's gonna burst it's like mm, if it's gonna burst it's gonna burst into a new category right is right that's all, all i have to say and it's it's so fun to look at it from um this side you know uh knowing that at some point uh there's gonna be major brands outside of hasbro who can do this and sure, be on yeah. uh, a stock ticker you know, <laughs> which is cra- crazy to think about, right? It's crazy to think about, but, um, but it's lovely. And, uh, and, um, I personally feel like that in my mind, in my, in my heart of hearts, um, I would much rather hitch my horse to something that helps open up people's hearts sure, yeah. and make them better people and allow them to be creative than to, you know, make sure that I'm making six figures a year in the insurance selling companies, you know, or getting attached to anything. If I could, if we can, if we can use gaming to enlighten, educate and create, create a a world of creativity for people, then I, I would much rather do that than like, shell out a bunch of licensed plastic toys that are just going to end up in a landfill somewhere. You know what I mean? Make make an actual difference. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's weird because it's, it's, you say that and, and, you know, making a difference for me would be like, I could probably make more of a difference going and cleaning up a beach, um, you know, than I could in like a week of the work that I'm doing together right now. But it's also the fact that everyone, uh, everyone who, who has a participant in it, it's like we can inspire and educate right, in yeah. that as well too. You know, it's like even like even thinking about this, I haven't touched about this a little bit, but even Werewolf Fifth Edition, that story is so pivotal and key right now because a lot of a lot of the whole story around Werewolf is is that Gaia is dying and that it is it is the werewolf's you know, it is their calling. They are the chosen warriors of Gaia and they are out there to try to help save the earth. You know what I mean? Like how many more like world of darkness fucking captain planet can you get (laughs) right right now than that? So, and, um, I think it's awesome. It's like, how do we, uh, how do we inspire through gaming and how does, and how do we all feel good about not only, the leisure time that we spend, but then how does that leisure time inform our choices moving forward as people? Yeah, no, for sure. Blah. Blah. You, you, you said in the totally <laughs> off base, totally random, but you said Captain yeah. Planet. It made me think, did you ever read the comic, uh, Zen? I think it was like Zen intergalactic ninja. He was like the, and he fought like, yeah. like, uh, yeah. pollution enemies. Do you remember that comic? No, that, um, Oh man. man. That sounds different. It was definitely different. I don't know what made me think about it. I had it. It was one of the random ass comics I had growing up. And uh, you should go look it up. It's just a weird Zen. 90s comic. But Zen Intergalactic Ninja. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that that sounds like like an, like an eco uh, eco story. Yeah. Oh, oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Well, going back to, to something you said about, um, you know, the, the ability of these games to tell stories and you know, to engage with people who might not even play the game. That was one of the things that struck me uh, about Undeadwood in particular. Um, so much so that at the time when I watched the premiere episode, I was tweeting about it. I was like, yo, I'm about to cancel my podcast and just make it like an Undeadwood fan show. Um, and and then I, well, and it, and it worked out because I woke up the next day and, you know, it was, it was a weekend, I think. It was Saturday, so I was just drinking some beers and I was like, damn it, you know, I'm going to go, I'm just going to go talk about this. And, uh, and people liked it and they connected to it. But what I was talking about in my first episode and what I tell people is what was so, what struck me so much about Undeadwood and what you guys did with that show is the fact that it was a game faded entirely into the background um, for lots of reasons from the production level, from you guys, you know, kind of cutting in and out, how, how you produce the whole show and obviously the actors you had at the table, but even more so than, than some great actual play streams, more than, you know, Adventure Zone or Critical Role or, or what have you, I'm able to recommend that to people because it's just great storytelling. And, and the game might be the bones that the story hangs on, but it allows people to connect to the story you guys are telling without feeling intimidated 
by you know having to learn a game system or something right and and that i thought was just huge and was kind of a a realization at least for me of some of the different shows i've seen you put out on geek and sundry and and whatnot it all just kind of came together and i thought that really set that show apart from others i see i've seen up to this point it's it's collaborative interactive storytelling and and it's so funny because these games are like these are games that in theory, if you gave them to writers in a writing room putting together a TV show, they would do anyway just to help get some of their beat points across, right? Sure, yeah. Um, you, you pick up Icarus, which is um, a collaborative storytelling game. It's GMless, and the, the the cards that are on it um, that move the story along. Uh, sorry, I should back up a little bit. Col- Icarus is a collaborative storytelling game in which you have a utopian city called Icarus. Okay. And, um, you, uh, you all play pivotal members of that, of that township. Gotcha. And as you're at the dystopian, like peak of its peak of its civilization, you have out story cards that come out and ask questions that create problems. And as you attempt to solve the problems, every failure, makes a dice tower like a little dice stack that you make and then once the the dice stack falls thus does your civilization um it's really interesting and so but what i why the reason i bring up icarus as an example is is that these cards that are prompted onto it are are things you would find in a writer's room you know they're questions like an invading force is looking at icarus and is is threatening to invade who are they and why you know or a major resource that was once abundance has now become scarce what is it you know these are this is a game like this is literally a game that you play um in order to tell a story but these questions are are things that you know if i was writing a you know post-apocalyptic survival horror series you know or if i was writing something like you know um uh, well, I mean, pick any show that has a major world inside of it. Like these are questions that a writer's room could bring up in order to make a major TV show, you know? So why shouldn't players have that kind of agency at yeah, the table yeah. to make these kind of choices? And more importantly, it's not like they have free reign. That's the joy of the chaos of dice is that they're, exactly. they're being put in positions in which they have to make choices based off of parameters that are given to them. Oh, I succeeded in this. Okay. Well, how do I roll with that success? Oh, I failed, but I failed in this way. Okay, well, let me let me take it in this direction. And as an actor, ain't no better gift, you sure, know, yeah, than to be given something. And and I've you know Anjali's spoken about this a few times, and I think Kari has mentioned it as well too. Is there something incredibly liberating about being an actor playing these games because they? they give you that agency that you really want as an actor and you try to find that agency when you're given lines, but it's also so freeform like it is with improv sure. and improv improv is especially in, in LA and, and in Hollywood improv is so associated with comedy, you know, it's like, that's an, it's an easy, it's an easy association. Right, right. You know, people who are do commercials, they need to have improv backgrounds so that they can create an X factor inside of what is otherwise a pretty boring sales copy, right? right yeah. But um, but so rarely is it implemented in a dramatic way. But I think the I think these games is what gives them the means to which do dramatic improv, and it's so cool to see them take the ball and just roll with it. Um, and but at the same time, you know, not roll off the off the edge of the cliff. Yeah. You know, because we are we are still setting up as the game masters. We are trying to set up some kind of playpen. <laughs> so they don't G- roll general in. guidelines at least, right? Yeah, general guidelines. Like no one wants to railroad anybody, but um, you know, if uh, if you're gonna make a playpen, make sure there's lots of toys in it. Yeah. Kind of yeah. situation. So. Well, speaking... and that's... Oh, sorry. Go yeah, ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm just uh, that's. That's that's just uh, another uh, another rant on why storytelling games are so cool. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's a good rant, and you know, I think we could have that rant every week, and I would be perfectly happy, and I think I would have a very successful show because I think there's such great validity in it. And and some people, you know, there there's still lots of people out there who are experiencing some of these games with, you know, unfortunately less than ideal 
GMs, right? People who are not there to create a collaborative story or who are not there to, you know, facilitate. I did um, it, man. My first game, yeah. my first my first game I ever GM at the tender age of 12, I was so upset that my friends did not want to participate in the story that I written for them. Yeah. They just wanted to goof off. Right. I, I threw a temper tantrum and I, I rage quitted the game and we, we did something else, yeah. you know, but, um, I, if I could go back to 12 year old Ivan now, I would tell him, Hey, their fun does not have to ruin your fun. You could both have fun together. So just relax, you know, if also, I, just... I invented time travel and that's how I came to talk to you. So you have that to look forward to as well, but also, <laughs> also the game thing, the fun thing and the game thing too. <laughs> the fun thing the game thing too. You're gonna be fine. Everything's okay. Right. Um, but that's the thing. You don't. Uh, you know. Uh, one, it's always great to be on the same page whenever you're starting a game. Sure, that's yeah. one of the key things about a session zero is everyone should be on the same page about what is what is fun. Um, at the same time, two, you should. Um, you know, you should. At least for me, I find the best part about being a game master is is enabling the joy that I want to see at the table. And and it for me, it's not a place in which to take. It is a place in which to give. And as yeah, a result yeah. of giving, I, I shine brighter as a result of them shining the brightest. So, you know, I think I think the. The better way of saying that is an old saying I used to like to tell people. It's like, uh, by helping others shine, you as a result shine as bright. Yeah. You know? No, that's, that's and, a great way to think about it and to to approach um, what you're doing at the table and really just with people in life in general. Right. And and it's a, a nice philosophy that that more importantly just – allows you to just roll with the emotional energy of whatever your table is going with. Now, granted, like I said, best case scenario, you're all on the same page before things even happen. But like some circumstances, like a con game, for example, that may not always be the boat. And some of the best lessons I've ever had in life are about how to juggle, you know, people who have different expectations about the game and try to bring them all together. For sure. Well, speaking uh, a little bit ago of Undeadwood, uh, I, I mentioned to you that there is an Undeadwood Discord server out there. Um, shout out to the Discord. Right. And uh, when, I, when I mentioned that I was going to be talking with you, they did ask if they could throw some questions out. And so I do have some Undeadwood-specific questions um, okay. that I will All toss right. your way. Uh, if you are able to answer them, feel free. I also don't want to steal from a potential future you know, full cast breakdown that you guys might do. So feel free <laughs> to say no to any of these, but I thought some okay. of them were good. Okay, um, great. A couple of people asked specifically about the bartender role that you played. Okay. Um, they wanted to know if it was something homebrewed specifically for Undeadwood, and if so, how did you go around creating that role? Were there limitations to the kind of informations you, information you could share? And then segue off that was how could someone else go about incorporating a similar role into their own games? Got it. Um, that's a great question. Uh, the bartender role specifically came about as an opportunity to create an off-the-table experience specifically for the show. Yeah. You know, Undead would, um, you know, I'm, again, all the shows I like to do, I, I don't just want to see the table. I mean, and granted, that to be fair, that show was good enough that we could stay on the table the entire time and we never needed to break away. But in pre-production, we all discussed, Marisha, Brian, and I, like how can we break away from the table every once in a while just to show the space, just to have an opportunity to like talk to someone different, you know? And that's how the bartender role came into the the world. And it was... Um, as we got farther and farther into pre-production for it, it became an avenue in which for players to take the resources that they earn in the game. And thankfully, Savage Worlds, especially the new Savage Worlds Adventure Edition, um, they're very they're very clear on how bennies can be used, but they're also very um, open. And they're like, you know, bennies are a resource for for excellent gameplay, you know. Sure. And Deadwood has specific ways into it. But I always thought it's more it's more satisfying to get a story point with a resource than it is to get like a plus one on a die roll. Right. Yeah. You know? And I do know that they used, they did use the very strong combat mechanic of soaking wounds and, you know, in the game as well too, which is again, if, if bannies can apply to both story points out in combat and out of combat, awesome. All the better. More versatile they are sweet. Um, 
but that character ostensibly became a what did we call it a pocket dimension <laughs> yeah that's a good way to describe um, it yeah that we could that we could give players a place to go to and um as far as information that we could share i mean uh, brian and i wrote this thing together his his right his amazing lore of Undeadwood is just what what gave it its heart and soul so much. But, you know, we had been alongside. And so I knew a lot of what he was trying to do, even if I didn't know specifically at that moment what he was trying to accomplish. So I felt pretty comfortable giving these these vaggy vague vague hints, um, but that also essentially gave them permission to do something or not because I knew I knew what he wanted to do and I knew what his what he wanted what he was specifically looking to try to accomplish and to be fair the glory of this not being alive is is that I had the comfort of knowing at any time I could literally just run off from my stage say hey this is what I'm going to tell him and then do it but we didn't have to that was the best part you guys were so in sync about the story yeah, it it was great. It was just something that like and then I would always check afterwards after we had like a, a moment, um, you know, somebody needed to pee or something to be like, yo, you know, is there any more or less you want me to go with that? And he'd be like, Yeah, or he would be like, No, that was perfect. So, you know. Um that's it is one of the benefits of not doing a live show is that we have a lot more opportunity to sync up off camera than feeling like there's an obligation to make it all happen right there. Um, the the best part about uh, about live shows is keeping the flow and not interrupting the pacing. Right. But you can accomplish that with professionals. You know, professionals are very good at like, okay, we're here. Okay, I'm back in. Right. And. Um, and we don't have to necessarily worry about the flow. That doesn't mean that we should abuse that and like stop every five or ten seconds. Sure. You know, yeah. I I know on We're Alive Frontier we had we had a lot of clarifications, a lot of points because um, the IP holder, the guy who made We're Alive, Casey Wayne, was on set like making notes about the story that we're writing so oh, that he okay. could put it into his lore book. <laughs> Very cool. That's pretty. Cool. <laughs> you know. The entire time, but like that's what I'm saying. Every every show's different, and they were doing so good. Unless there was something absolutely vital, we did our best not to stop stop the flow. Sure, yeah. So, couple couple more questions, some quick ones. Um, let's see here. Uh, I'll, I'll give you one short one, and then one that you can probably give a longer answer on. But are you? Uh, the question is: were, Are you allowed to say what the cast was drinking, and were you actually drinking alcohol, or was it just you know like show juice? Uh, if you can't answer, that's okay. (laughs) That that's questions always asked, and I'm trying to decide. Um, it's not about if I can answer it or not, because I'm I'm perfectly happy to answer it. It's just, do I want to answer? Sure, yeah. It's frankly the question. So, um, I'm good with keeping it incredibly vague. I think. Um, I will say that both both were on set. Is all I have to say. But at what times they were drinking what? I'll let you find that out. So, you know, <laughs> a, a good answer. We're not forcing people to drink. On right. Set. That's the one thing I would <laughs> for say. sure. We're not for sure. forcing people to drink whiskey on set. Right. Um, and, and then last one here, and I think it's good kind of pertaining to uh, what you do in particular as a creator. Um, but the question is, uh, you said you drew inspiration from Deadwood and used the Deadland system. What other, if any, inspirations did you use for world building the supernatural elements of Undeadwood? Well, Undeadwood is definitely – Deadlands has so much cool world stuff inside of it. I would say that beyond Undeadwood and Savage Worlds, but the, the specific Deadlands lore itself is so great, um, and there's so many cool stuff packed into it. I don't think it's – I don't think it's hard to draw conclusions that there is a bit of a cool, like mythos, elder god, kind of um, underlying tone that was involved in yeah, there afterwards yeah. as well, too. But it's weird west, right? Like, sure. uh, elder gods can exist amongst liches, you know, right. can exist among, um, you know, uh, mad scientists, and that's what Deadlands offers as a as a world, right? Um, so. That's the th- best part is there's no limiting factor. Uh, at, uh, the the question that I think people need to keep asking, and I will continue to let them know, is they all are hucksters. Where are they pulling their magic from? Right, you know, right, right. now it is. It, it, it is. It's, their magic has only been described as as it comes from the dealer. You know. Yeah. And, uh, big open ended. What could what could that mean? 
Oh yeah, and I will say, uh, you know, there are there are there are definitely thoughts about about that, but I think it's um, I think that's a fun thing to just ask move forward. Is is that yeah, you know, yeah. where are these powers coming from? And uh, and hopefully, and I know you probably can't say anything about, it, but hopefully, somewhere down the road, we get to uh, you know, we get to find out about a bit more about the lore and whatnot you guys put together. You know, hopefully, yeah, there's that, there's more down the road. Yeah, and that's definitely not something I can speak to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no. I, I'm speaking into the wind and into the world, putting my wishes out into the ether. And I'm sure even Brian's like, nope, can't talk. About <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for that, and thanks again under Discord for the assist. Uh, one more question for you from one of my Patreon backers, because yeah, as I don't forget, yeah, Patreon yeah, the question. most important because uh, my my first and favorite backer, Brady. Uh, shout out, Brady. You are fantastic. Um, great follow on Twitter. Go check her out on Twitter. I'll tag her uh, once I put this episode up. But Brady asked, um, Sagas, Sagas of Sundry really upped the ante when it came to what a tabletop RPG show could be. Do you ever have the desire to revisit the universes you built for Dread or Madness for a new story? Or do you feel like those world stories are completed? Oh, um, so Sagas of Sundry as a, as a experience, I think, is um, there's so much world in which to keep playing in that space um as far as the world that dread and madness took place in um i've always been a big advocate and i think we i even talked to marisha about this at the very beginning but um sagas of sundry was my was my homage my tribute to um tales from the crypt you know sure so i loved the idea of this twilight zone tales from the crypt style um serials you know, in which I could bring this world to tell a story and then let it go into the ether. You know, we kind of yeah. did that with 10 Candles a little bit too. Every story was different because it was a new group of people, but it had a unifying world around it. I think, I think Sagas is much more about like, it's our, you know, it's our weird tales. <laughs> right, so, right. You know, so yeah, I don't know. I don't think, I don't think I would ever. I don't think I would ever want to know what happened to those cast members after it was done. For Dread, it was great because we transitioned from International Tabletop Day to Dread, and that was a beautiful natural progression. And I'm I'm in the middle of Dread right now, so oh yeah, no no spoilers. Oh, I will say I will say nothing. Say nothing else. (laughs) But it was just the transition from Episode Zero into what Episode One was like that. that was a very organic transition between those, but I wouldn't want to know what happened to them after, after the, 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 the final episode. I think I'm good with that. Yeah. Yeah. There's something I think really uh, beautiful or poetic or, or just good about letting stories end and then letting them be. And I think so much, and, and I'm sure you see it living there, but in Hollywood right now, we're, um, and we're so concerned with doing sequels and rehashes and, and getting right. every answer to every question. Um, or we go the the other way where everything's nihilistic and there is no answer and everything just falls apart. But if you can find that middle ground of letting the story end and then kind of releasing it, you know, in, into the cosmos, um, it's a really good thing when you're able to do that. Yeah, and it doesn't necessarily always lend itself to a strong business choice, but creatively, um, I'm a huge fan of, and especially in the world of thriller and horror, which is where both of yeah. those shows live in, the the fact that that we can end the tale. It's like, I mean, to be fair, you see it in American horror story as well too. Like it's a, it's a, it's a serialized series. Like they have multiple episodes that tell one long arc, but once American horror story carnival is done, it's done. You know, they may have a character make a, you know, um, a, uh, you know, a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, like they might, uh, a cameo. There it is. Sure. Yeah. Or some so sort long. of callback. Yeah. Yeah. And that's fine, but they aren't furthering the storyline of that right. same cast. Right. In fact, if anything, they're, they're reusing the cast to represent different characters, which is, that was actually one of the parts that I love the most about that series. So for sure. Well, cool, man. I, I know, uh, you've got to jump on a stream here in a few minutes, but before we wrap up anything else that you want to, uh, share, you want to talk about werewolf, anything else you just want to let people yeah. know is going on? I've, yeah, man. I mean, you're right. We could just keep going forever. Um, 
Uh, though one thing I would just say is is uh, I can't speak too much of Werewolf, but if you haven't seen the announcement tra- uh, uh, trailer for it, like go ahead, hop on Hunters Entertainment on our YouTube or go to our Twitter, Hunters underscore ENT, and go check it out. Um, I am delighted to say, and I don't know when you're going to be dropping this, but I am delighted to say that Altered Carbon, the Kickstarter, which is yes, yeah. um, our that's going to be uh, dropping January 20th. So the Kickstarter for Altered Carbon is going to launch January 20th, in Excellent. which um, the Quick Start Guide will be available on the campaign page. You can download it, look at it, and it'll be your first peek into it. And we're very excited about that. On top, I mean, obviously, Werewolf, huge announcement, super into it, already starting development on it. But that's kind of like that's the that's the the closest goalpost <laughs> sure, yeah yeah for sure <laughs> at the stage for it and um, i think if you're a big fan of cyberpunk it's going to be a cool thing the stretch goals may or well it will, it will i'll um say it it's fine um people you know if you are fans of will probably be involved in the stretch goals because I'm very distinctly putting in helping fund a live play series around Alter Carbon um, as part of the, the crowdfunding campaign. So if you want to see another um, production that, you know, in the, the vein of what Ivan Van Norman has to offer, yeah. um, consider backing that. Even if, <clears throat> even if you may not enjoy the books, but you want to see the show, then just come in or give it a share because my goal is to make a wonderful four-part miniseries um, in the Altered Carbon world running well, the games. That so. uh, that sells me on it. <laughs> that's what well. I'm here for. Well, that's awesome, dude. And, and people can, if they do not already, can follow you on social media. You are Hydra underscore Lord on Twitter for sure. Is there anywhere else people can check you out? Uh, Facebook, Ivan Baron Van Norman, two R's. Um, just look for the page. I don't post much on the personal nowadays unless it involves my four-year-old. So, you know, <laughs> um, but the, uh, yeah, hop on there or Instagram also Hydra underscore Lord. That's pretty much what I like to keep around. It's, it's an old hail day back from the heroes of might and magic two era in ah, which I, okay. I just used to mass Hydras as the warlock class. So, yeah. See, I, 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 didn't, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't know if it was a, if it was a comics reference or uh, or there we go. No, okay. it's, everyone everyone does the Hail Hydra. Hail Hydra, I, yeah. It makes, it makes sense considering um, you know the Marvel Cinematic Universe and all that. But now, dude, it was that, and then I immediately started playing StarCraft One, and I yeah. played Zerg, and I was just in the early days of StarCraft, and even into Brood War, I was a mass Hydra guy. Oh, so. there you go, <clears throat> there you go. So so you you claimed it, and it stuck. So that's pretty good. <laughs> Right. So, well, well, thank you so much yeah, for taking the time. I appreciate you know. it very much. Um, I, you know, I, I wish we could keep going, but tell you what, maybe after Altered Carbon or Werewolf, maybe we have you back on and we talk specifically about those because um, it's been great to, to have you in chat games for a bit. Yeah, hit me up, man. I'm looking forward to it. January would be a great time to tap into it, and um, I'll be around. Okay. Sounds good, dude. Well, thank you so much. And to all of our listeners, thank you guys so much. I always appreciate you joining. As always, make sure you subscribe on whatever app you choose. You can support the Patreon and ask questions of future guests by going to patreon.com slash rollforpersuasion. Follow me on Twitter at rollpersuasion. And until next time, guys, enjoy your games. 